0: I'm glad you're here today. I kind of wanted to stay home and snuggle with a book and a cup of coffee when I saw the snow. But thank you for coming out this morning. Um, like Lorreen said, um, I've taught with women's Bible study, but I took a two-year hiatus. So I'm back again, getting in the saddle. And my, my nerves are a little shaky right now, because it's like, wow, all these faces. But I'm happy to be here and um, share what God has shared with me um, the last two weeks that I've prepared this, um, this lecture for you guys. So. Um, I'm not bragging, but I've always been one of those women who does not look their age. When I was 13, or I'm sorry, when I was 16, I looked 13. When I was 21, I finally looked like I was 16. (laughs) And even now that I'm (coughs) 52, I don't look my age, which I'm very thankful for. Back then it was a curse, because I wanted to look my age, and now that I'm (coughs) 52, I don't look my age. Until this Christmas, someone reminded me that I look my age. And she gave me, as a Christmas gift, rapid wrinkle repair. (laughs) I won't say who it was. Jocelyn. (laughs) She's my cosmetics girl. And she told me, I was like, well, I don't need that. She's like, Mom, you kind of do. And she pointed out a couple wrinkles around the eyes and on my forehead. And I looked in the mirror and I finally had to say, yeah, okay, I guess I need it. I was kind of in denial, because I've always looked young. I didn't think my face started to show it, but she pointed out some painful truths and told me I needed this. So thank you, Jocelyn. You will be getting coal in your stocking next Christmas. (laughs) Thankfully, it wasn't for my husband though, right? That would have been disastrous. He actually bought me this for Christmas, so. He's a good guy, he's a good guy. But as I was thinking about the Gospel, and how we're supposed to present it, that illustration came up to me. When we share the gospel, we have to share some very uncomfortable truths. Just like my daughter told me I have wrinkles. I didn't want to hear it. I was hurt. I was offended. I didn't think I needed it. I was in denial. It's the same with the gospel. When we share the gospel, we have to tell people some very hard, painful truths, don't we? They don't want to hear it. Why? Because it's offensive. They're in denial of their true spiritual state, and they don't even know they need something. Like, I needed the anti-aging cream, apparently. They don't know they need a savior. So that's what I wanna do today, is I wanna give the gospel presentation, because eventually, hopefully, God is gonna give you guys divine appointments to share the gospel. But it's intimidating. It's hard. It's frightening. So I want to go through the Gospel with you and I want to give you the answers you can give other people. First of all, we're going to go with what is the Gospel. In the Greek, it just means the good news of Jesus Christ and the way of salvation. In a nutshell, we see it, sorry, we see it in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. There are three components to the Gospel. It's very simple, very easy. The first component is Christ died for our sins. The second is he was buried. The third, he was raised on the third day. Now I wanna unpack all three of those components and I'm gonna spend the most time on the first one, Christ died for our sins. Because right off the bat, we're struck with a very controversial topic, aren't we? Sin. People don't want to talk about it today. People don't want to hear about it today. But it is part of the Gospel. Because before we can get to the good news of Jesus Christ and Him as Savior and Redeemer of our souls, we have to get to the bad news of why they need a Savior and Redeemer of their souls. So yeah, we do have to tackle that tough tough topic of sin. When we get to sin, I was thinking, and some of these questions I've actually been asked, so I'm thinking, you're probably gonna hear them too. The three questions I thought of was, well, how did we become sinners? Because people are gonna ask that. Well, if you're gonna call me a sinner, how did I get that way? What is sin? I got asked that question once too, and I had to define it for a person. And why was it necessary that Jesus actually die for those sins? So to answer the first question, how do we become sinners, you're actually going to have to go back to Genesis, chapters 2 and 3. And that's a big old lecture unto itself, but I'm going to give you the boiled down version. This is something you can tell somebody. So when God created the earth, on the sixth day, he got to the point where he was ready to create man. He created Adam and Eve. And he created them perfect, sinless, they were perfect mentally, they were perfect emotionally, and they were perfect physically. You know, like Ken and Barbie perfect, not like us. They were perfect in every single way, without sin. They were also created in God's image. And part of that image means they were given an intellect, a mind, emotions, and a will. Now, will is a wish or desire. Basically, that means God gifted every single person he created with the ability to make choices. That is a wonderful gift God has given each one of us, good and bad. So on the very same day that God created Adam and Eve, he also gave them instructions, one rule, just one. You would think it would be easy for them to follow. And the rule was this. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. One rule. They had a whole forest of fruit trees to eat from. I don't know how many that was. It doesn't really matter. But there was just one tree that God said, you cannot eat from. Just one. And for the most part, we think they obeyed. We're not sure between the time that they were created and the time Satan entered the picture so when satan entered the picture he took that one rule that god gave adam and eve and he twisted it to the point where he deceived eve into eating of that fruit so this is what he said he's like you will not surely die for god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good and evil so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Well, who wouldn't want to eat that right? So she exercised her free gift of a free will. She made the choice to take that fruit and eat of it. And then her husband did as well. And at that moment, when they ate the fruit — and again, people are probably not going to debate what the fruit was — it doesn't matter, really. It could have been a kumquat, for all we know. It doesn't really matter, it's non-essential to the gospel. What matters was that Eve and Adam disobeyed God. And in that moment that they disobeyed God, that's when they took on a sin nature. They became sinners. They lost their perfectness. Their minds, their bodies, their souls, everything about them became tainted with sin. And just as a side note, the earth also became tainted with sin. The earth was cursed because of that one choice that Adam and Eve made. So now we have tsunamis, we have mudslides, we have hurricanes, we have tornadoes. Things that the earth, because of its corruption, deals out to us as well. So through Adam, we know that sin came into the world. Sin came into the world through the one man, death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. By the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man. So through Adam, all of mankind now are sinners. That is now our default spiritual DNA. We have all inherited a sin nature from Adam, down through all the generations, including ours. No one has been exempt. So what you might hear is, and I've heard this too, well, Adam ate the fruit. I don't think that's very fair that I should have to be a sinner because of Adam's choice. Anybody heard that before or read about it somewhere? People are going to say that. I should not be responsible for one man's actions. I kind of understand that. I've often thought that too. Why is, why would that be fair that we are dealt a sin nature because of one man's choice? Well, there's a theological term for that, Oops, I think I got ahead of myself here. Okay. And it's called federal headship, I don't have a slide for that, sorry I thought I did. Federal headship, and I'm going to read what it says out of the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Federal headship view considers Adam, the first man, as the representative of the human race that generated from him. As the representative of all humans, Adam's act of sin was considered by God to be the act of all people. And his penalty of death was judiciously made the penalty of everybody. So, what Adam did in the garden, he did for all of us. We weren't there, but as the head of this mankind family, he chose to sin. So now through his seed, every generation now carries that sinfulness. So that's how we became sinners. That's it in a nutshell. There's a lot more to it, but that's it in a nutshell. So then you want to come to, someone's going to say, well, what exactly is sin then? Maybe they're okay with being called a sinner, probably not, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but you have to tell them, what is sin? Well, sin is missing the mark, failure, lawlessness, and I get that from 1 John 3, 4, and 1 John 5, 17, where it says, sin is lawlessness, and every wrongdoing is sin. God has a perfect standard by which he wants us to live. Adam and Eve messed it up. They missed the mark. They failed to keep the one rule that God gave them. That's kind of a nuts and bolts definition of sin. Since Adam and Eve then, God has gone on to give us other rules, other laws by which he wants us to obey. And I put them on your handout. There's about 125 of them. So i listed them all out. Some of them are multiples, which means it's pretty serious. If it's listed multiple times, that means it's a pretty serious sin. So you can read those later. It starts in Exodus with the Ten Commandments, and it goes from there. Now these are the laws, I call them the laws of don'ts. Don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't gossip, all the way down through the New Testament. So the law of don'ts. And you can see God's pretty thorough in what he considers sin and what he doesn't want us to do. But each of us fails. Because we inherited that sin nature from Adam, there's absolutely no way we can keep any of God's laws. We will fail. We will fall short. And we know this because sometimes, like, If you have kids like me, how many of your kids ever told you a lie? Or how many times have you gone to a grocery store and you kind of see them sneak a little piece of candy, and you catch them and you have to tell them to put it back? Or how many times has your kid thrown a temper tantrum when they didn't get their way? Okay, we all throw temper tantrums when we don't get our way. (laughs) But then it progresses through adulthood. We gossip. We can tell lies. We slander other people. We backbite. We cheat on our taxes. We speed. All those things are missing the mark of God's holy standards. So sin still exists today. When Adam and Eve sinned, it caused a separation. Because God is a holy God, He's perfect and He's sinless, He actually cannot be in our presence because of our sin. So when Adam and Eve ate that fruit and they lost their perfectionism, or perfectedness, I should say, he had to kick them out of the garden because he couldn't be with them any longer. Now we are forever separated from God because of that sin barrier. He can either come down to us and we can't go up to him in the state that we're in which is really sad because I know what pains God's heart. Initially, he wanted us to be with him, to be in fellowship with him, to walk with him and talk with him, and to worship him. But we make the choice to sin. But here's the good news. God provided a way. He wants us back. This is what it looked like in the beginning. I came up with some illustrations. I'm a very visual person, so it helps me. But in the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, he was with them. He could be with them. But now that we're in sin, this is what it looks like. That God cannot be with us. There's a barrier of sin that separates us from God. Again, he cannot come through that barrier to be with us himself, and we can't go to him in the condition that we're in. So when you're talking with people, i want to get back to that sinner. When we talk to people about sin, and we have to let them know that they are a sinner, you're gonna get backlash, because people don't like that. I remember I was talking with a member of my family, and I won't say who it was, but we were out to dinner one night, and uh, the topic came up, and I had to talk about sin, and that we were sinners, and she literally got out of her chair and started Shaking and she started pacing in the restaurant (laughs) by our table. She did not like the fact That I had to say we're sinners Which meant she got lumped in there too, and she didn't like that fact, so I'm like check, please. I'm out of (laughs) here She finally sat down because she had to calm down But you will find people do not like that We probably didn't like it the first time we heard it, but it's the truth and sometimes Out of love, we have to speak truth to people. Otherwise, they're never gonna see their need for Jesus Christ. Now, this person I was witnessing to, when she was so agitated, she was like, well, I'm not a sinner. I make mistakes, but I'm not a sinner. Now, how many have heard that before? I make mistakes. That has become like the mantra of our society today. I've made mistakes. Well, we heard about it from Congressman Anthony Weiner. And how can, how can you say the last name with a straight face? But the poor guy, <laughs> I could be a journalist and say that. <laughs> but the poor guy is not owning up to what he did. What he said he did was terrible, terrible mistakes. He sexted, and then he lied about it. What do you think God would call that? Sin. But mankind does not wanna call it sin anymore. They wanna call it a mistake. So what's the difference? Someone's gonna ask you, what's the difference between a mistake and a sin? Isn't it a matter of semantics? Well, I don't think so, but that's just my opinion. But I'm gonna try and prove it. So a mistake is something that is easily corrected. Two plus two is five. No, it's not. That's a mistake, two plus two is four. I'm driving somewhere and I turned left, but I needed to turn right. That was a mistake. Easily corrected, I just turn my car right and back around, and I get back on track. Another mistake I made was I put cumin in my cookies one time instead of cinnamon. (laughs) Never do that again. So that was a mistake. Here's the thing, mistakes don't necessarily need to be repented of. They don't necessarily need a savior. Yes, there are some mistakes that we make that we do need to ask forgiveness for, but by and large, mistakes don't need repentance and don't need a savior. Sin does, because sin is falling short of the holy standard of God. And I like what Andy Stanley says. He says, if we settle for merely calling ourselves mistakers, then we will never admit we're sinners. If we never admit we're sinners, then we'll never admit our need for a Savior. When people cry, mistake, 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 they will never see the true depth of their depravity. They will never see their need for a Savior. A mistake kind of softens the blow a little bit, but it doesn't make them accountable for the actions that they have done. So when you're talking with someone and they say, well, I'm just to make mistakes, it's our privilege and our responsibility to tell those people, yeah, you do make mistakes and so do I, but there's a deeper issue here at stake, and that is your sin. Your mistakes don't need a savior but your sin does that's kind of some bad news we have to tell people here's something i was thinking of if we water down the bad news of sin and hell because ultimately that's where our sin leads us to death and condemnation if we water that down and we don't tell people the truth about their sin nature, guess what? They'll never fully understand forgiveness, the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for them. The bad news leads to the good news. As hard as it is, but with love, grace, gentleness, and respect, we have to tell people the truth. Because what does Scripture say? Truth will set you Free. The truth will set you free. If we don't tell people the truth, they won't be set free. They will stay bound in their sin, bound for hell. That is a hard thing to tell people. But how many of you are sitting here today because you know that truth? Don't you want other people to know that truth too? As hard as it is to tell them that, God asks us to tell people the truth, for the truth will set them free. But someone's going to argue, well, I'm a good person. I'm not a sinner. Again, I make mistakes. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed any crimes. I haven't had an affair. I'm actually basically a good person. I volunteer. I do all these wonderful things. I donate. Well, God has something to say about that as well. And that is those three verses. There is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. There is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. Again, no one does good, not even one. So there's a logical sequence here. If you follow it from Genesis, man made the choice to sin, kicked out of the garden into the world, carries a sin nature with him. He can't be good. Having a sin nature means we aren't good. The two can't coexist inside a human being. We have a sin nature. We cannot be good. Can we do good things? Yeah. And we've seen good things. We're, they're called humanitarian efforts. We see people who send aid overseas. We see people who help the homeless. And people who donate to give, you know, to a relief fund. Those are all good things. But apart from Jesus Christ, unfortunately, they have no eternal value. They mean nothing. Nothing. God even goes further and says that even our righteous deeds, as good as they may be, are polluted garments or filthy rags, which, depending on your translation, but they mean the exact same thing. So no matter what good you do, apart from Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean anything to God in heaven. It will not earn you salvation. It will not earn you a place in heaven. That's a hard thing we have to tell people because they're banking on those good things, getting them into heaven. The good's gonna outweigh the bad, but it doesn't work that way. So we have to be the bearer of the bad news in that regards. Scripture tells us it is not of ourselves. And it is not by the works. Now, I'm going to come back to this scripture a little bit later, but I want you to see where even God tells us. Your good works that are of yourself aren't going to earn you salvation. It's not by works. Here's another challenging question that people are going to come up with. And this is one I heard actually a couple months ago. Why does God allow evil? You're going to hear that, especially now when terrible, terrible things are going on in our world. I heard this from a young gal I I meet with periodically. Um, She's got mental health issues um, and physical issues. And she's angry at God because of them. She doesn't understand why God gave them to her. And I had to go back and tell her about Genesis, how our bodies, our minds are corrupted by sin. But then she's like, well, I'm angry at God because my aunt and several of my friends in high school committed suicide. Why didn't God intervene? Why did he allow that to happen? Hard, hard questions. This girl's struggling. She's angry. And frankly, I could understand that. Why didn't God intervene? Those are things that even believers struggle with. Here's the answer. It goes back to Genesis again. God gifted every person with a will, choice. They will choose to do evil, bad things. And unfortunately, many people are affected by some of those choices, either emotionally, Physically, mentally, it's just one of the saddest things we have to come to terms with. God does not allow so much for evil as he does for man's free will. God will never undermine the gift of choice that he gave us. As hard as that is to help people understand, that's part of God's image is knowing good and evil. When God gifted us with choice, with a free will, He's allowing it to play out, and He will not undermine it, even if it means innocent people are gonna be hurt. That is a tough one. And I don't expect anybody to understand that fully in their mind, because I can't either. I still struggle with why doesn't God intervene when I see innocent school children shot up. Or people at a concert in Las Vegas mowed down by a guy I struggle with that as well but I have to understand that God gave man free will that is really hard she didn't accept it either and she's gonna struggle with that but here's the thing about free will we have the choice to do evil with it or we have the choice To choose God to choose good and ultimately that is what God wants because honestly he doesn't want anyone to perish he's delaying his wrath upon this earth so that more and more people will come to him he doesn't want anyone to perish why because first of all he created us he loves us he didn't want us to sin he wanted to be with us forever But we chose to sin. God still wants us back. Did you know that? He's still up there waiting for us to come back. It is our privilege and our responsibility to tell people that. Yes, you're a sinner, but guess what? God wants you back. And he provided a way to do that. We're all familiar with the verse John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? Sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because God loves us, wants us back into a relationship with him, he sent Jesus Christ, his son. That brings me to the point of why did Jesus have to die for our sins? Well, that goes back to the Old Testament. And here's another short theological answer you can give people. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did it require a life? Well, in the Old Testament, God required that the Israelites, who were his chosen people at the time, to bring a lamb to a priest. The priest would slaughter the lamb, and the blood that was drained from the lamb, which is considered the life of the lamb, Covered the sins of that person who brought the lamb. Their sins were atoned for through the blood of that lamb that was slain on the altar. That was a ritual that God required over and over and over again of the Israelites. Now they don't do sacrifices today. And why is that? Because God provided Jesus Christ. He still. He is the one who is the unblemished lamb, the perfect savior. And on the cross, he gave up his life and shed his blood. So it doesn't need to be done over and over and over again. It's once and for all. Jesus did it for us. We don't need to slaughter lambs anymore because Jesus was the precious, perfect lamb that was slaughtered on our behalf for our sins. That's the good news. Maybe not so much for Jesus, which he willingly did and loved to do it for his father and for us. But the good news is that, yes, we're sinners. We're bound for a terrible place. But God wants us back and provided a way for us. And that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because he himself bore our sins on the cross. And through his blood, we now have forgiveness of our sins. He is the lamb whose blood covers us now. So we've been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without the blemish, and that's the reference to the Old Testament. So that is the first component of the gospel. The next two components, he was buried, he was raised on the third day. Why is that significant? Well, most people are buried. There's nothing new there. What's significant is that he raised from the dead. No other God, no other spiritual leader has ever done that. No other God, no other spiritual leader has sacrificed their life for their followers. Can you think of one? Confucius, Buddha, nobody. Only Jesus Christ did that because he loves us. Because God sent him to do that for us and he willingly gave up his life to do that. So that he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He lay there for three days. And then he was raised from the dead, conquering sin and conquering the penalty of death. So we are no longer bound to sin because of his death and resurrection. So now it comes full circle. So while we have death and sin in Adam, We now have life and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? The one man brought us sin. Now the one man brings us forgiveness and eternal life through the shed blood on the cross. And through his one righteous act, it results in the justification and life for all people. Everybody has the opportunity to appropriate that gift of grace that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. So now our life can look like this. God is still in heaven. He still cannot be with us in our presence, but he provided a way for us to come to him and him to come to us. And that is through his son, Jesus Christ, who died as our Savior, our Redeemer, taking on the sins of the world in his body. Through his blood, we are covered and forgiven. That's the gospel in a nutshell. God wants you back. He wants everybody back. Now, is everybody going to want to come back? That's the, kind of the crux of the question. No, not everybody is going to want this. You may share the gospel with a lot of people, but you're gonna get a lot of different reactions, and not everybody's gonna want to accept the free gift of grace that God has given to us that we can appropriate through faith in Jesus Christ. That's not your responsibility, though, is their reaction. Our responsibility, our privilege, our commission is to share the truth Of Christ that will set men free we have to let God deal with the rest of it so yes it is a free gift just like my anti-aging cream was a free gift it's available to anyone and everyone who will accept it who will appropriate it for themselves through faith in Jesus Christ believing that he died on the cross for their sins, that he rose from the dead and now sits in heaven with God at the right hand. So if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from this dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk right now. I'd like to assume you're all in Christ. But there may be someone sitting here today who doesn't know that glorious truth that Jesus Christ gave his life for you, for your sins, so that you could have forgiveness, that you could have eternal life in heaven with God. And I would hope and pray that if your heart is beating and wanting to know more about this, that you will talk to somebody. And if you do know this, I am praying that you take this message out to the Vox Valley area. Because there are a lot of sinners out there who need to hear this message, who need to be set free. And I think that's why we're doing this study. It's to encourage us. It's to embolden us to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the way of salvation. So I hope this has helped you a little bit, and please talk to anybody if you would like to surrender your life to Christ, because we would love to be a part of that. So let me pray for us, and then I'm gonna send you on your way. Lord God, it is a mighty, mighty thing that you love us that you created us, that you want us back, and that you've provided a way for us to come back into relationship with you. Father, I just pray that if there's anyone here today who does not know you as their sweet, sweet father and kind creator, they do not know Jesus as their Lord, their savior, their friend, their redeemer. Father, that their heart would be quickened that they would surrender to you today father they would not harden their hearts but today cry out to you Abba father that they would be saved that they would know the glorious forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ and rejoice in the hope that awaits them in heaven father we thank you for providing this way for us may we never take it for granted Embolden us, charge us, provide opportunities for us to share this truth with those in our area, that they may be set free from the bondage of sin. We pray this in your most precious name. Amen.